0: You're by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello and welcome to a non-distinct podcast in the midst of a bunch of other podcasts. No, called I think we're distinct. Called, called I will let The let Word stand. on the Hill, which is a colloquialism that we use to be able to actually express something that is distinct which is a location that we share, which is on the hill in Boulder, realizing the readings for Sunday scriptures. <laughs> That's the most confusing intro to a podcast that we've had yet. I don't know if it's any good, is it? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I genuinely don't. Welcome to the podcast. We're the Lanky Guys. I'm Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Musset and um, we're really excited that you've joined us uh, for the fifth Sunday of Advent. Nope, it's the sixth Sunday of Easter. <laughs> just to clarify, you know, I, I don't know if that was a joke or not. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't take it. Yeah,
1: Father Peter, I don't know if you knew this. What is what, next what I know? week? Uh-huh. Is the fifteenth anniversary of your priestly ordination.
0: Alleluia, alleluia, and alleluia.
1: The Fifteen is the. So isn't like fifty is diamonds and like twenty five is gold and I think fifteen is podcasts. Fifteen, isn't it? It,
0: it is. It's pod- the podcast it, anniversary. It's so a podcast.
1: that being said, in honor of the fifteenth anniversary of your priesthood and nearly fifteen years of doing ministry at Saint Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center in Boulder, Colorado, we are doing a live podcast next Thursday, May thirteenth. <laughs> Um, and we're trying to raise some money to support this ministry that has been um, uh, built and directed and and built up and strengthened by your priesthood over these last 15 years. So we're trying to raise $15,000 to support the ministry here and all of the things that we have going on, the intellectual formation, the spiritual formation, the human formation, the apostolic work going out to the world, and really trying to form these young people into being um, loyal sons and daughters of the church who understand their place in this world and their place in the world of evangelization. So on we're going to be doing it on YouTube... Uh, on the YouTube's YouTube. next week, and our YouTube channel is St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center. So just search for that. We'll also put links. We'll send out emails. We'll put links to it on our Facebook pages and our website and all that stuff. We'll put a link in our
0: description of, from this podcast to the next podcast. We can
1: do that. We can actually do something.
0: Yeah, like and yeah, and uh, and ten o'clock, ten o'clock Mountain Time, ten o'clock Mountain Time, and uh, it is wonderful. It will be replayable, of course, and you can uh, see us. But we're going to be Not up. Sure, at the... if you should
1: say it's wonderful yet. We'll see if it's
0: wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's really wonderful that you uh are gonna join ah, us ah that's wonderful yes right i um and be, being a fifteen years uh, being fifteen years a priest and not yet bro um, I will not you got be, a week you yeah. got a week out <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you are just, just <laughs> um by the way the the priest. traditional gift for the fifteenth anniversary Could you is, look it up is crystal,
1: yeah that's what I said. You didn't say
0: crystal. That's what our podcast is. What? It's crystal in the lives of our. I don't know. I guess Just it. let's move on. And then, our, the, the, but the modern <laughs> gift is our our watches. I have a watch. Um, the flower is rose. Okay. And the gemstone is ruby. Are you well, just trying to throw this out there for everyone just to, just for their own information <laughs> that if
1: they know anyone who has the 15th anniversary of anything that happens to be coming up, they know all of the, right, the right. rules. Yeah, like... Uh, I will get you crystal. I would get you a crystal vase. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dude, it's great. So This I, is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I may, before we move on from this... We analogy, are in May.
1: What did I just say? If, if I yeah, may. Oh, my gosh. Before we move on from this note, I do just want to ask you guys um and we've been talking and discussing and trying to discern oh, together, yeah. but I do want to ask you to prayerfully consider
0: if God might be calling you to give financially to support this ministry. We're giving you yeah. a week to think about it. Right. And and, and one to of to pray the pray about it. And and one of the things that we're doing is I mean we we have a goal of $15,000 and that's actually a pretty achievable. We um, think so. And and it's a it's a a great gift. When Scott came to, he come here at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center. I had asked him this question. I said, "Hey, can you help me study for the Sunday readings? Because I really want to give better homilies." And um, and what we realized that that when we started actually studying together and then putting this out there, is that um, it, uh, this ministry is something that we wanted to offer free of charge to the whole church um but we don't charge for this <laughs> <laughs> you know we don't no but um but uh, when you donate to our uh, podcast and to the work that we're doing here you are elevating the whole church you have you are reaching so many priests you are reaching um, so many students we serve here uh, but you're reaching uh, you know, lay people and priests are like you're reaching bishops and, and, and families and yeah. uh, young women and young men uh, and promoting vocations. And that's actually kind of the reason why we're thinking $15,000 is because, you know, I've been a priest for 15 years. And um, when the people who shared the scriptures with me and helped me mm-hmm. to penetrate into the heart of God— they have made such a difference in my life. So yeah. if uh, if you want to help to continue to make a difference, we want to encourage you to donate and uh, take a week and ask God what He wants you to give, and uh, maybe we can support a little bit of the work that we do here and uh, around the world. Absolutely.
1: So we and we really do thank you. And if if um, um, we also ask for your prayers, please please do that. And uh, yep. For us as well. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Well. So it's the uh, fifth Sunday in Advent. It's the sixth Sunday of Easter, Father Peter. Ah, And for this lovely sixth, which is also Mother's Day.
0: Mama. Which is
1: appropriate that the readings are all about love.
0: Mama. Moms
1: and love go together. Or they ought to go together. I guess some of us have different experiences of that. But our first reading is from the book of Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 10, verses 25 through 26, 34 through 35, and 44 through 48, which
0: sounds like a responsorial psalm, but it's not. It's <laughs> Acts. <laughs> dude, I didn't, I didn't read the interleaving text, did you? Uh, yes. Psalm 98, um, verses 1, 2 to 3, then 3 to 4, and then uh, the versicle is uh, from 2B, or okay. not 2B. Yeah, there it is. Good job! Oh, thank
1: you. Our second reading is from the book of First John, the Epistle of First John, chapter four, verses seven through ten. Again, all about love,
0: love, and then our gospel is from John two. It's a very John-heavy-heavy heavy, uh, set of readings. This is this is um, this is good, uh, and then it's John chapter fifteen, mm-hmm. verses nine through seventeen. All about love.
1: I think Acts chapter, and
0: I'm sure I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. (laughs) I think
1: Acts chapter 10 is the turning point moment, not only for the New Testament, but for all of Christianity. So, Not of human so it's, history. It's, it, Jesus is the turning point of all of human history when right. he defeats death and conquers sin and all that. This is the turning point in the life of the church, I believe. Mm, I think, I and mean, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that. I think it really changes everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. Re- I mean, honestly, it really does. I mean, from here on out, everything, er- like the whole concept of who and what fruitfulness is, and yep. who the church is, and who Israel is, yep. and who god is and what is the work i mean it it, it's there's a revelation here i mean as they're as they're going along and they like you know peter he says "Uh, wow i'm seeing the holy spirit go on these folks like and i mean like that's the punchline of the story is like the holy spirit is on them we gotta baptize yeah so well i I'm, i'm having a hard time thinking about this um
1: outside of speaking about the gospel first. I'm tempted to speak about the gospel first, which I know is very botan, <laughs> among us. Mm. Um, we don't do that. But, but we do that when you want, but, but not when I want. Well, <laughs> then we won't do it today because we're going to do it the way the scriptures
0: give it to the church gives it to us. <laughs> Stop your whining. <laughs> Bl-
1: that's, that's a full-on blubbering.
0: Yeah, dude, I was just, I was just no, trying to- funny.
1: But what, what what what's happened here? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake.
0: Yeah, it is for my
1: sake. Um, so yeah, you're Pete. Um does anyone ever call you Pete? What's up, Pete?
0: Uh you know it's really inconceivable. Maybe like to me. two
1: people. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you like it?
0: Yeah, I kinda do. Pete. What's up, Pete? i it was yeah, kinda know, weird. I mean? I'm I've never been a Pete. I've never felt like a Pete. I've never introduced myself. Oh, I'm Pete. What's up? I'm trying to think of what would make a Pete. A I boss, feel like You're slinging, a hot, bog, slinging lots hot dogs of in a
1: hot dog cart on
0: Pearl Street. That's when, Pete. When I worked at the um Cherry Creek uh, movie theater, uh, my name tag said P E A T M. Pete M. <laughs> Pete Pete Moss. With a with a intero bang interrobang the end of it this podcast today is brought to you by the, <laughs> the word bang the, the Unicaracter code uh bang nice job breaking out the character code okay
1: uh what's happening in this reading father peter <laughs> what's happening is this talk to me i was wondering this is the new word. <laughs> but, it, but the reason i think it's the turning point is um really what i think so much of the readings speak to today there's two things that i think they speak to Number one is the question: Who is my neighbor? Um, who is who is us? And the reason I want to go into the
0: gospel, but I won't, do you, is you just, that you just made reference to two TV shows. Not only did you <laughs> did you do which it ones? to uh, to This Is Us, oh yeah, and then um, and then Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Who's my neighbor?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah yeah. Well, it's a show, It's also in the gospels. There's the question that's asked: Who is my neighbor? There's a real debate. We know that there's a command to love our neighbors. We know there's a command to love our neighbors as ourselves. But I think the history of Christianity, the history of religion, the history of humanity has really debated that question. Okay, well, who's my neighbor then? Is it my community? Is it the people around me? Is it the people that I share life with? Or where are the lines? Where does the line come? Where does the border show up as to the people who are no longer my neighbor, right? That's been a perennial question. It's existed, the, the rabbis for hundreds of years debated about this question. And Jesus, in answer to that question, gives the story of the Good Samaritan. And he does it in a way that suggests our neighbors are maybe broader than what we think about. But when um, the gospel, and again, we'll, we'll, get there. The gospel is laid out in terms of two juxtapositions, right? There is us and there is them. So what we don't get after... (laughs) I'm not trying to give a whole expose on the gospels, because I know we're going to get there, and I I I promised I wouldn't do it. We can jump there first. No, no, no. I I just want to say, so it's all about... It's it's the follow-up to the vine and the branches, which Jesus talked about last week. Well, last... It's what we talked about in the liturgy last week. Um, and it's immediately after that about, you know, if you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches, don't get cut off, don't, you know, bear good fruit as long as you're attached to me, remain in me, the mano. And then after that, he talks about love. If you, you if you remain in my love, I love you, you should also love others. This is my commandments. But, and, and it, he's explaining how to remain the branch on his vine. He's saying what that looks like, which is to be in imitation of him. Um, And he gives a particular view of what love actually means, which is not simply affection, which is not simply getting along with each other. It's a very different thing because he uses himself as the example. But after all of this talk about love and love one another and let's love each other, the very next section, which we don't get, starting in verse 18, talks about hatred. So you get us and love. And right after you get them and hate. And it says, they are going to hate you. The world hated me. It's going to hate you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised as you go out in imitation of me that they hate you. And I'm, I'm struck by the starkness of the us love them hate that this section of the Gospels actually lays out, which is, again, it's not, oh, those are our enemies, those are those people, but he wants our minds, John wants our minds kind of moving in that direction so that, in a certain sense, Acts of the Apostles can break the misconceptions of what that actually means, right? Am I making any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So back to Acts of the Apostles. What's happening in Acts of the Apostles is this amazing moment where the church, I think really for the first time, realizes—or Peter, the head of the church at this point—realizes and and um, puts flesh on the idea— of what evangelization actually is right because up until this point and this is not to disparage the church but up until this point there was no real sense that our job was to go and evangelize or convert the gentile peoples the non-jewish world the nations this is a jewish reality and our job is to share with the rest of our brothers and sisters in faith that the messiah that we've been waiting for has come that's what the job is. That's what the mission was. That was what evangelization looked like, which is important. And then in this moment, about a chapter before, Peter finds himself up in a place called Joppa. And the only other reference point for Joppa, do you know that we talked about this? The yes. only other place that Joppa appears in the Bible?
0: Yes. Where is
1: it? <laughs> I don't remember. Okay, okay. okay we well, we'll get there. He's in a place called Joppa, which, again, it almost seems like a throwaway line unless you realize the history of that city. He's in this place called Jabba. He went there because he was called upon to bring healing to these people who are suffering because there was a particular image of the church that if Jesus could do it, the followers of Jesus could probably do it as well. So Peter's up there. He's bringing people back to life. He's healing people. And he's staying in a house of a guy named Simon, which is confusing because his name used to be Simon. Simon, of it, anyway. which, is,
0: which is actually, there's actually poetry in it. There's beautiful
1: poetry in it. Um, there's also a lot of blood because Simon was a tanner, and there's animals and
0: animal skins. I would, I've been watching actually some some d- like uh, YouTube videos about making parchment and tanning and stuff recently, which is really yeah. It's it's so a lot of get fur sick of, and stuff. If you get sick of watching our live podcast next week, you can just scoot over to
1: some parchment podcast, <laughs> parchment <laughs> parchment, parchment, and, and, parchment YouTube, parchment <laughs> YouTube. Oh, cl- parchment YouTube is crazy out there, like Catholic Twitter. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway Anyway um, Joppa so he's Tanner in this place, Simon, kind of Simon And he's up on the roof Remember the scene He's, in the he's tired He's hungry And he sees an image The pig's in a blanket image He sees this image of a blanket Or a sheet being lowered down With all these animals and Presumably
0: the Yeah it says Take and eat And he's like I've never eaten
1: anything clean And he's like what So it's I've like declared- camels And shrimp And McRibs and pork chops, right? It's it's all the unclean animals of Leviticus. Did, did you just say McRibs? Of course did I you? said McRibs. <laughs> That's what, you can't have fulfillment of the Old Testament law without a McRib. <laughs> um, and he said, yeah, and exactly. God says, kill and eat. And Peter's response is, no. no, man, no
0: I'm not going to do this, bro.
1: I can't. Bro, bro, to God, which is, it's a weird, it, it shows you how deeply invested Peter is in his Jewish identity, that this is who I am, this is my roots, this is my identity, this is the faith that was passed on to me, there is no sense, that this scene makes it clear to me that there's no sense for Peter that, oh, I'm done with Judaism, now I'm going to launch this new Christianity. No, that's not the sense. It's, this is what I do, this is what I believe, this is where I come from, this is our faith. And this is the moment that the faith or what we thought about the faith is now... Um, God is adjusting our preconceived notions of it.
0: Well, yeah. What's interesting is is that uh, the preservation of all of these traditions was to elicit I- I- elicit meaning. So. So you you have a sense, okay, yeah, I can't eat all these other things, and I know that the kind of natural consequence is I don't get to be with the other nations, I don't get it like sit at, I don't get a table with right. these other people. But then the Lord declares it clean, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves here in Joppa, and now He's actually giving meaning to the preservation of that tradition to say, now in its in its actual fulfillment, we're going to lift this because everything has come to a place of fullness which can then go out you can now table now you're ready right and and those
1: laws were pointing to the fact that the people of god were not ready and honestly honestly in so many ways the unclean food laws which lead like you said to the table law table fellowship laws is such a witness of god's patience with his people i have an intent god has an intent that the world comes to know who he is so that all may know him He's willing to be patient for thousands of years with his people who are not ready to do it. Right. Because God's not in a hurry. He can handle it. And the patience of God that now he comes to Peter and he's like, all right, Peter, now it's time. Now it's time to rise and to eat, not just because about the foods, not just because, oh man, wouldn't you love a shrimp scampi after thousands of years, but now it's time to actually engage Right. because that is what this is about. This is not an internal reality. It's an external reality. And simultaneously, as Peter's receiving this vision three times, because it takes him three times to get it through his thick skull because he can't buy that God would actually ask him to do this. And again, God, let's be clear, God is not asking Peter to break an Old Testament law. God is saying, I have changed the object of the law. The law hasn't changed. God doesn't change. God is unchanging the status of his creation is now redeemed and restored. So we can engage with the world in a different kind of a way now. It's not that God changed his mind. It's that we've, like you said, it's a, it's a matter of fulfillment. So as this is happening, this guy from a centurion up in Caesarea, they come a-knockin' because their boss, Cornelius, had sim- similarly had a vision of a guy down in Joppa named Peter, who for some reason he was supposed to bring back up because there was a message that God wanted him to share. And Peter's like, oh my, can you imagine being Peter? Like, your world is being flipped upside down because everything that you understood dogmatically and doctrinally about your faith, God has now told you in prayer that it's being upended. And then simultaneously, these strangers show up from a centurion who are precisely the people that have been trying to kill you and your people. And you're like, you're coming with us. And he's like, uh, okay. Like, the... the tailspin of a moment this must have been for peter of like what is going on here
0: yes and no because he's also he's also been limbered up by being thrown in prison busted out of prison He That's like, true. like like That's all true. of these miraculous things like where, where he is no longer so he he's so trained by god that mm-hmm. he is no longer surprised by the action of god so that when, when he comes and these guys show up, th- but this is the next level. Well, he is surprised though, because he was surprised at the blanket thing. Right. What, what I'm saying is, is like, he's been so trained yeah. that he keeps on just getting leveled yeah. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. R- Absolutely. Right. There's yeah. still surprise, yes. but but, then, but he's limber to like, this is weird. I guess I'm just going to keep following it. Yeah, because there's the kind of surprise
1: that paralyzes us. You're like, oh my gosh, surprise I didn't see that coming. Fear. I, didn't, I, I can't do that. That's, and then there's the surprise of like, oh, we didn't see that coming. Two different kinds of interrobang. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> it is. So <laughs> the reason that Joppa was significant, um, Joppa, the only other place that's mentioned is in the book of Jonah. And it, it's the place where Jonah sets out as the one and only Old Testament prophet who is sent to a people that is not Israel either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. He's the only prophet of the Old Testament sent to a non-Israelite people, namely the Ninevites, which was the capital of Assyria. And if you remember, he does not want to go. And it's from Joppa that he finally sets out to try to escape from this mission that God has tasked him with, because Jonah responds to a similar um, surprise, but he does it in the opposite way. And of fear. like, I don't what do you mean you want me to go to those people? What do you mean you want me to go minister to those people? No, I can't. That's surprising, but in the sense of, paraly- uh, of paralysis and of fear and of trying to run the other way. And we know the story. There's a shipwreck. A whale eats him, vomits him back out, and he's back on track. But there's a whole thing. But... but- I, I'm struck by the. That's true. It's I, the just, story. Yeah,
0: I know. I just, I just love the the, the brevity by which you described it. <laughs> that's, that's The cliff note. Yeah, of, yeah, exactly. Of Jonah,
1: but I don't think it would have been lost on the ancients that that's the only other reference point for that city. And isn't it coincidental that Peter happens to be there? Peter is the antithesis of Jonah. Peter's the new Jonah. He's the fulfillment of what Jonah was supposed to be, because he's all. Equally, he's also surprised by the fact that wait a second, God's message of redemption and salvation is for a people that's not Israel as well. That's unexpected. I'm a little freaked out by those people, perhaps because there's a centurion involved. But I'm gonna go anyway. I'm not gonna run the other direction like Jonah did,
0: right? And which is the and and so then this actually becomes a jumping-off point for the so to speak for the yeah. evangelization of the nations.
1: Absolutely. Um that, that's absolutely right. So he goes up and he's this is where he he gets there and he begins doing the charisma. It's there's a neat kind of feature his speech here in Acts chapter 10. Is um, directly parallel to the entirety of the Gospel of Mark, which is believed to be Peter's Gospel. It follows the exact same charismatic movement and oh. point by point, which is actually kind of beautiful. That's really beautiful. Which actually. is a good evidence that Mark really is Peter's Gospel because this is how he does it. We all have the, like the way in which we tell the story, right? That we yes, and it changes and it shifts and the details move around, but we all have a way because that's how God designs us. That we have a way in which we do it, yes. and I love that that we see that here. And as he's doing it, like you said, um, a second Pentecost happens. And I find it kind of fascinating that the church has chosen to give us this reading prior to us actually celebrating Pentecost, because this scene presumes the knowledge of Pentecost having already happened, Mm. because Peter's speaking, he's preaching, he's going after it. Um, and I love the uh, the idea of like, you know, in the moment where you're like, you're getting into it, like he's he's like, okay, this is working. Like they're responding, like, I'm gonna i'm I'm going for it. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends upon all of these people, these non-Israelites, um, they begin speaking in other tongues and they realize, like, oh, shoot, they've just had a Pentecost, like we had in the upper room, right or, or in that spot, you know, back in Jerusalem a couple of years back. Holy mackerel, what does that mean?
0: Holy mackerel, Holy mackerel because <laughs> it's declared clean. Is mackerel clean now? Yeah, macro. I don't know no but they're they're there and I'm always so struck by the fact that the, that there's no sacramental preparation I mean this is just like the Holy Spirit comes around well there's a quick one there's this speech I mean, th- there's this speech <laughs> there's, this, there's that right right like it's it's a proclamation it's it's a proposal it, like yeah. there's yeah. something that's poured forth and they see that and immediately their hearts are so disposed by the natural goodness of and yeah. realities of their lives that the Holy Spirit just comes upon them and can you imagine being there, and you're like, "Oh, oh, that we can't, we cannot deny the reality. We know God intimately, and we see what's happening literally, directly in front of us Absolutely. from this proclamation. And simultaneously, with Peter,
1: they're 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 both having these change moments in their hearts because they're having the re- this receptivity to this new message. The God, the power of this speaks to the power of the gospel, which we. So often, I think, just take for granted, we forget, especially in this day and age, that we have the words that has the power to be the antidote to the blindness and the evil in the world. And I think we forget that and we lose sight of that. Because if we have anything to give to the world, that's it. That's what we have. And Peter does this. He uses the gift that he's been given. They receive it, as did the Ninevites in the time of Jonah, But again, unlike Jonah, Peter doesn't get ticked off at the fact that these people are repenting and calling on the name of the Lord. He realizes, oh, shoot, God is a couple steps ahead of me because what happens when we're baptized? We sacramentally believe that when we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. These people receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, shoot, we need to hurry up and baptize them because we're we're one step behind God. And I love this passage as an emblem of what the church is supposed to be in the world. What is the church? We use the message of the gospel. We try to discern where God is working in the world and we conform ourselves accordingly. That's what Peter's doing. That's the job of the church. Here's the tool belt that I have. I'm going to use it in sometimes unexpected places. I will find what God is doing and where he is working, and I will conform the church thereto. And Peter is going to get hammered for this. This ends with this nice story that everybody's happy, and they all received baptism. the baptism, and everyone wants him to hang out. But as Acts of the Apostles goes on, people are not so happy back home about this. And how dare you go up to those people? And did you share a meal with them? And you sat down at table with them? Like, what are you talking about? And this will lead to the fight and the strife and the arguing that will lead to the Council of Jerusalem, where the church has to figure out, what on earth do we do with these Gentiles? We didn't have a category for them. And now God seems to be saying that this neighborhood... is big who is my neighbor is bigger than we thought it was and we don't know how to accommodate these people
0: well and not only that but we also don't know how to even relate to ourselves anymore because what is the yes. mosaic practice if yes. they're coming in to yes. to to this motion which is which is just a really it's it, it it I can see why you would say that it's the pivot. I think it is. It it it, it, it by which it's the fulcrum actually. It's yeah. the pivot. It's the I mean it's it's by which everything changes. Yeah. This is the pivot. And and I find it so striking
1: because the way that Acts of the Apostles is organized is that the first half about of Acts of the Apostles is all the story of Peter and how Peter is leading the church through its ministry to the Jews, and Jerusalem and Judea. Paul will become, of course, the famous missionary to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. But it's significant that this particular moment is centered around Peter. You'd think, like from an outside point of view, it was some cursory knowledge of Acts of the Apostles and how the church works that, oh, it's ministering to the Gentiles. That's kind of Paul's gig. But it's not Paul's gig. Paul's the one who kind of goes and takes up the baton. It's a it's not just appropriate, it's necessary ecclesially that this vision and this moment of Cornelius comes through Peter because it needs to come through the Pope. It is a hierarchical the changing of the church. Yeah. And Paul is working in response to that, but it
0: has to be Peter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's the Alba he's the prime he's minister. The absolutely. Right. Like right, so, yeah. so so in a real sense it it's like um you know peter had his bumbling first execution of the keys by binding okay. jesus to the the t- taxes yeah but but to. but in our t- yeah like yeah. W- the bumbling moment yeah totally. whereas this is actually where peter's like I'm sorry on a side oh. note i've never
1: thought about peter's bumbling as a attempt to bind jesus to himself <laughs> because his whole role as pope and the key bearer is to bind and loose But in his first iteration of that, he tries to bind Jesus to himself so he won't go to the cross. That's – sorry. That's – I don't know if you meant to say that, but that's a fascinating insight that merits some more exploration later on.
0: Wow. That does – I've never – just You said it, and I was like, wait a second. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So – Anyway. So, like, yeah. Wow. Okay. And back to our regular okay. scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but here he's actually like the exercise of this. It mm-hmm. would be so profoundly difficult. Like, what are you really, what are you doing? Right. And then everybody's got to come together to try to understand what the meaning of this is. And like, like, cause and his answer is he's like, I'm not doing anything. God did something and I caught up
1: because that is his testimony at the council of Jerusalem. Cause they're like, what are you doing? What do you, th- who do you think you are? and he keeps saying i did nothing except saw where god was working and conformed myself accordingly because that's my gig that's my job and well, i love that theologically
0: which leads us into the into the uh, the psalm
1: it perfectly leads us into
0: yeah. the psalm on two different levels talk to me okay so first of all
1: the i mean just reading it at first glance the lord has received the lord has revealed to the nations his saving power Cool, that applies because this is the nations, the Goim, the Gentiles. Um, I love that there is a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of what has not really happened. Because in the Old Testament, you never really get... um, the, the the meaningful, the, the lasting revelation of God to the nation. There's moments, right, where the nations, the Canaanites, hear about the Exodus event. Uh, the Queen of Sheba comes up to visit Solomon to glean his wisdom. Like, there's moments. But you can never really say, oh, my gosh, this is the moment in the Old Testament that the nations see God's saving power. But here you do. Mm. Here what the Old Testament hoped for, longed for, pointed for, made us hungry for, is finally brought to fruition, which speaks to the character of Scripture. But here's the other thing I think is cool. So on that level, you're like, oh, totally, that's what's happening. That's why this psalm is appropriate. But Psalm 98, so so liturgically speaking, if you go back to ancient Israel, Psalm 98 was um, a, call to celebra- a call to celebration. So there's different psalms for different occasions. There's lamentation psalms and penance psalms. This is a celebratory psalm. Oh, what were you gonna say?
0: Oh, I, thought you were I right. was gonna make a joke about it. It's of called the celibacy, you know. but that's like it's, it's, you just kept on struggling with the word, and then I yeah, I did. I struggled.
1: But here's what's cool: the way that this celebration psalm of God's saving power is organized is in three distinct stanzas. So there's three chunks that make up this psalm. The first stanza is all about the worshiping congregation at the temple in Jerusalem. So how do we worship in the temple in Jerusalem? The second stanza is all of the peoples of the earth. And the third stanza is all of creation itself. Oh. having this. So the psalm itself is organized in terms of expanding revelation of God to the people of Israel, to all the nations of the earth, and ultimately to all of creation. Which so I read this and I was like, "Well, that's cool." God, all the nations sing, but then the structure—the structure speaks. The form speaks to the function. The form speaks to the words, yeah. which is very sacramental. It's almost a sa- small ass sacramental um, psalm.
0: Uh, yeah. It, well, it's also the kerygma. It is the kerygma, yeah. It's, it is. It it's- you know it's, we here we are. It's like uh, you know the, the, you have this the cosmos the, which we end up in. Yep. I mean it's yep. it's kind yep. of a weirdly ordered kerygma because <laughs> we you know you start there's a reason why creation happened. There's a yep. fall. In case you're wondering what the structure of a kerygma, a kerygmatic expression is, is creation has a, had a purpose. It was made by God for man. Man was in the world. He fell then god did, led uh, a mission to try to help him through jesus christ now you have a response to that saving power of god
1: yes absolutely absolutely and that's the, the the word kerygma by the way just means the 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 manner of teaching oh i don't know if we've said that like the the this is the content of the teaching which is what you just gave
0: and it's spelled in a way that it's very hard to understand the way we pronounce it and the way it looks kerygma, kerygma. Greek. You, like, su- you sounded like verbum. I was going through. I was going through verbum last night with with like Greek, and it was and, and the person who's pronouncing the Greek letters was sounded like what you were just doing. I was
1: slightly Russian, just there.
0: Well, then we Which go is, into our second
1: reading. It's the first John. Um, first John is. We talked about this last week too. This is the, first
0: John second reading.
1: <laughs> oh, that's confusing. I know it's just really fun. I used to. I. Mm, I used to always get kind of rubbed the wrong way by first John because it just sounds so lovey-dovey. and like, love one another and love, 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 love. And again, I've already confessed that I was raised, you know, in the particular generation of the church or time when I felt like that was just kind of the write-off dismissive answer to everything like, Oh, don't ask these hard theological questions or struggle through these things that you don't understand because God is love. That's all you need to worry about. God is love, nice feelings, happy warm fuzzies, butterflies in your heart. Which is not really what anybody was probably saying to me, but that was always how I received it, and well, it just felt like such a bumper sticker.
0: Well, this is yeah, this is what happened. Is it's like you can say like God is icing, but you're like, but I need cake, <laughs> like like good that's good actually you know like because because that was happening it was just happening all over and then then when you start to receive cake you almost want to reject the icing because you're just like i you're like no like i i still find myself because i was raised in the same generation i want to be in mass i want to be like um i'm like because god is love and then i'm like oh it's just sounds so weirdly abstract to me and and like insubstantial and so it's that's a better way to say it weirdly abstract and
1: not substantial which is not true this is what john first john actually proves wrong exactly but that was always the sense i got the wrong-headed the falsely informed sense that i got
0: right like and 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 the the dismissiveness because because we actually had a generation of people who really lacked a lot of evangelization and they were Mm -hmm. and they they loved the church in this way that was w- had goodness in it, but but needed work, and that's actually been that's been our our work in the contemporary age of the church is to recover that and to try to put that out. That's part of the reason why we even have this podcast here.
1: Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the problem with this, and this is where the church again, not just to speak about our particular generation, but historically, the times in history when the church has struggled. Are when we don't have, as a church, the capacity or the capability to do what Peter did in the first reading. If somebody pulls you aside or you're called upon to speak and bear witness to what do you guys believe? What are you doing over here? Where we can stand up and say, let me explain it to you. In real, logical, down-to-earth terminology that you'll understand, that I can say to you, do we have the capability to do that? Because that's when we can really evangelize. When we can act... adequately answer the question, what do you guys believe? What are you all about? And historically, there's been many times where I think the church and mass cannot do that. We don't know what to do. Either we become overly technical or we just don't have the words or we don't even really know ourselves. Right. And Peter speaks to the need. There is a need. Not, you need to know all the technical theology and be able to quote the catechism verbatim. No. Peter just stands up and he's like, here's what we believe. Here's what it is. Let me explain it. And that's what um Where did that come from? Well, that again, that was my sort of misconception is that sometimes I think when we get afraid or we feel um that we don't uh, what was the word uh in incapable or, or we don't have enough in us. Inadequate. Inadequate is the word I'm trying to think of. We resort to either abstractions or dismissiveness or whatever else. It is. Or, or circling the wagons. Or exaggerations. Dismissiveness, exaggerations, abstractions, or circling the wagons. Okay. And say, so you know what? It's none of your business. This is our thing. This is what we do. Right. which is the temptation in the early church but what John is doing the reason this all kind of comes back is he ex- he's explaining the deep theological significance of what actual agape Is and I went back in the Greek consistently throughout every one of these readings. It's the word agape that's used, not phylos, friendship love, or or eros, which is more you know spousal love, but it's self giving, total gift of oneself to another kind of love. That's what God is, that's what we are called to, that's what we're called to imitate. It's a deep theological reality. And when he says, Beloved, let us love one another because God is love and love is of God. It's not God is a nice, happy feeling. God is total and complete self-gift. Yes. And what I what I discovered in kind of just doing a little digging on 1 John that I'd forgotten about, nobody knows exactly who the, what the destination of 1 John is. It's probably the church in Ephesus if we're to believe that it's John the beloved apostle who wrote this, which there's no reason not to believe that. Historically, that's been the consistent belief. But he never says who he's writing to, and he never says exactly what he's writing for. So we have to do a little digging, but what's believed is that he's actually trying to dismantle a couple of particular heresies that apparently are spreading like wildfire in his church. And it's some sort of a mixture of probably docetism and Gnosticism, which is trying to disprove the physical reality of God, of Jesus, that Jesus only looked like a human being. He was really just all-powerful God, or rather that, you know, he just gave the appearance of having a physical body he didn't really have a body he didn't really su- God can't suffer God can't bleed that doesn't make any sense he's God and in an effort to um conquer fight against destroy this heresy that speaks against the dual nature of God who became a human being he uses love and that apparently for John was his best weapon to explain Jesus is fully God and fully man. How do we wrap our minds around that? Love. What is love? It's total and complete self-gift to another. It is a holding up of the truth. It's not just nice words to make people feel good. It is the truth, but it's the truth not weaponized, not thrown and spit in someone's face. It's the truth as self-gift. That's what Jesus is. That's what he did. That's how we That's how that's the antidote to heresy. It's the antidote to heresy. Then it's the antidote to heresy. Now, what's the, what's the, is it, was it Ratzinger or Pope Benedict that talked about, you know, um, truth without love is not an adequate way to evangelize and love without truth is also not an adequate way to evangelize. We actually need both. And I think oftentimes we love to say the right things or just give a great sophisticated answer that we can spit at somebody to shut them up without love. Or we just want to love them so much and never challenge them and know everything is fine. I'm never going to challenge your worldview or anything like that, which is also not actually loving. God is love, which is self-gift and truth in totality. And that's why this is actually such an appropriate passage to use when the church is wanting us in preparation for pentecost to start thinking about what on earth it means that we've been given the greatest tool in human history to bring the world back to the one true god which is the gospel kerygma the message how do you do it this is how you do it yeah which then actually does lead us back into the gospel yeah
0: yeah being a being a and this is we learn this from mothers like like nice uh, i mean truly like like we see in our mothers this like total self gift the like to say here is here like like they they teach us in a deep way about how you can give so fully yourself in love of another yeah
1: or if we didn't have that experience i think every human being recognizes the lack of it Mm. because there is an ideal that is in our hearts that's built into us that we know what love ought to look like. Right. So many of us had that, praise be to God. Many of us didn't have that, but built into us is the recognition of what we didn't have because we know that it exists somewhere, and we know that we're made for it, which is proof of God's goodness and his love and what he actually is. Yeah, which leads us into the gospel. Which does lead us into the gospel. And again, we've already talked about it a little bit. Yeah, re- I kind of ab- spilled
0: the beans. Abide. I we use the word re- uh, remain from the uh N-A-B. Meno. Meno.
1: is the Greek word.
0: Meno. Meno. Remain- That's how I was remembering my vocabulary. We talked about this last week, I didn't did, we? Yeah. Yeah, but like I like the word abide. Abide because it's like it says, "As the Father loves me, so I also love you." Like the Father's willing to go to any length. And man, I'll tell you what: there's nothing. There's no length like correcting like you're a dad Yep. so you know how like much it costs you to correct your children it doesn't cost that much <laughs> <laughs> i offer it fairly freely <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah, as, sometimes more than other. As a spiritual father, <laughs> it costs <laughs> yeah. me a tremendous amount. Sometimes more than other times to correct, right. to correct, and to just like say, you know what? I'm going to actually do something that is not intelligible to you or right. others, or like it doesn't. You're not going to see the end of what I'm trying to do, and even right. and and whether or not you're generous or selfish, we're doing it anyway. Yeah. And like, yeah. you we're just gonna have to go this direction, and that, and that feeling when you when you just know that it's either intentionally misunderstood or actually just misunderstood, right. like, right. Y- y- like that kind of self pouring love, like when you think about it, that, that's actually what the the love of the father. Is. I mean, the father doesn't have the same doesn't have emotions the way we understand or anything, but like, but like he's the son we see his emotive life and his humanity particularly and he's like he's like but you remain i remain in the father you remain in me and like just stick with me because i'm i have i'm actually doing something here this is meaningful and if you do that what's the end result
1: then you'll have joy you'll bear fruit it's not just joy. That joy is a part of it. But he says this is where he leads you from the previous reading that we talked about last week. Um, and it's here somewhere. Yeah. you'll and, and the, uh, It was not you who chose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. What will the fruit do? Abide. Abiding fruit. You're not just gonna bear fruit that kind of goes away, like the grapes that hang around for a couple weeks and or the banana that is ripe for like an hour and bananas are the worst. Can I just rail up against bananas for a second? Dude, can, they're ripe for like a half an hour. And if you don't catch them at the exact moment, Dude, then they get all brown and rotty, or they're too hard before that. Ugh. Anyway, it's not like that. Dude, abiding
0: fruit. Abiding bananas. I had a banana and I was and it got a little bit past and it stained my quartz counter <laughs> by its rot. And I'm like, come this on, is, this is what buddy, I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I also have a lot of kids who love to eat half
1: of bananas and leave the rest in surprising places for me to find. So (laughs) anyway, anyway, that was the image that popped into my head. But but again, this idea that fruit that remains, fruit that abides, you're going there's gonna be an end result. And this I I am so struck, like I mentioned earlier, that right after all of this, he goes into this thing about how the world is actually gonna hate you. So we're we're asked to hold this juxtaposition in our heads of if you abide in me and I and you, and if you love one another as I've loved you, which is total and free self-gift and truth, you're going to bear great fruit and the world will hate you. And you have to somehow hold together in your head the idea that you're going to bear fruit in the world and the world will simultaneously hate you because there will be Cornelius's and there will be Herod's. There will be Philip's, or the Ethiopian eunuchs, and there will be Whatever. Who's that guy that fell out the window? Because uh, the other, you know, the people who try to put you to death and and imprison you, and you never know who's going to be who. You right. don't think Paul was going to be the one to be on our side. You would think it'd be somebody. You, you know, you. Uh, this is this is the the radical vulnerability of the gospel charisma. This is the radical vulnerability of Peter in response to these visitors. That he says, Oh, that's surprising. I will go anyway. They might put me in prison, they might kill me, or it might bear fruit. Those are my three options. Right. I'm going to go for it because it's cool either way. Because Jesus assured me that it's cool and
0: it's okay. Right. Because you cannot, you're set up for failure if you're choosing between safety and apostolic vitality. That's right. Because you can't, you can try to say, oh, I'm going to try to choose the safe way and we're just going to do it. But I'll tell you, you start to do that and you're going to get progressively robbed more and more and more and more of what you think that you already had. Whereas if you choose and say, you know what, I'm going to forsake safety and I'm going to choose apostolic vitality now that's what you get but you're not it's not safe i mean safe. because you look at peter here he is and he's evangelizing cornelius yeah. and he's and like the holy spirit's coming on he's baptizing the gentiles and he's like well, i don't know what i'm doing here but and I,
1: surprise surprise who are
0: the ones to attack him the church his own church right
1: right you're like oh i thought it was going to be those guys who would attack me for this message but actually it's my people And you never know when your own people are going to stab you in the back. And this is what Jesus means and why when Jesus lays out the us and them and the love and hate, those lines are a little bit blurry because the us and them can exist in every single human heart. There are moments that I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And then there are moments that I probably have the capability of stabbing my own church in the back. Right. Right. We have all that. And this is where. I think we want these lines to be cleaner than they are. And Jesus says what he says, but then the story and the kerygma and then the commentary on it from guys like John show that, oh, here's what Jesus said, but here's how we actually now understand what that means. Right. And we're going to flesh it out. Jesus said what he said to us in the gospel. We didn't understand it. We were pre-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete had not yet come to enliven our minds. But now in hindsight we see it's complicated. And the fact that it's complicated is all the more reason to be radically vulnerable to it. Because we don't know who's going to be on our side
0: or who's on the other side. When and that's why Jesus's command to love your enemies, not yeah. to just not hate them but to love them, which is a very different thing. Which is a different thing is saying like, no you're you're you don't you don't know what you're going to be doing here yes. just yet. And if and if you don't prepare yourself with this, then you're gonna be. You're just starting to starting to sound like a prospector.
1: You're never know what you're gonna see. <laughs> <laughs> and because
0: because that it's is true. exactly what Prospecting. I am. I'm prospect prospector Pete. Dude, I'm Prospector Pete. And I'll tell you I'm not Stinky Pete. I'm Prospector, prospector Pete. Prospect. No, yeah, there's, there's, there's a difference. But no, that's that's what we do is we yeah. prospect and we're digging for for gold. Like we're trying to actually find where the work of the spirit is and then that's foster it. it. I mean yeah. like and and that's a that's the gift of our work that's it and that's why like you know we we plant seeds in in with the lanky guys but you guys are the ones that have to bring them to fruition because you know you can say oh here let's plant a seed but then you gotta talk to people because virtual the gospel always comes incarnate and you are the one who bears the gospel so Proclaim these ideas. Proclaim the reality of Jesus Christ found in these words, and yeah. and be bold and, and like choose apostolic vitality and listen, listen to where the spirit's already active, and just hit it, just go, like right on, because it might get weird and complicated. But it will, yeah, it always does. Yeah, <laughs> and we've we've lived this long enough that's... to to see exactly what that means. Oh yeah. So, friends. What a gift! We will see you next week. Yes, live, live and in and, person, and then in person. Or you can
1: listen to it later on if you can't make it at ten right. a.m. Mountain Time.
0: Right, and and uh, and the live and in person, uh, you know, talk about not choosing safety, but apostolic <laughs> That's vitality. A little bit vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. We don't oh, yeah. know what's going to happen You have to look at me, you know, and so so please pray about a gift that you could give mm-hmm. and uh, and enjoy this beautiful and holy week that has been given to us by God. Amen. We'll see you next week, everybody.
1: In Tarobang! In terribane. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org AICT. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, that is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.